Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Daniel and Mark Show, brought to you by Hargo Head Start. Today, we are lucky enough to have a special guest on, Samir Patil. Samir is a six-figure, full-time investor and trader. He's the main creative behind the Hardcore Head Start podcast, an obsessed gym junkie, and the very first Hardcore Head Start mentee. Welcome, big boy. How are we, boys? <laughs> How are you? That was an, I'm, I'm very uh, pleased with that intro, man. <laughs> yeah, you like that one? That was, that was sick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I worked on that for the last three days. <laughs> That's uh, good, thank, man. Thank, thanks for good joining to, us. Yeah, go on. Thank, thanks for having me, boys. Um, it's been a while, you know, Mark. I haven't even had a chance to, you know, have a face to face with you for a while. So this will be good. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Definitely keen, dude. Like we've seen a lot of like the content come through the hardcore uh, Head Start channel. But yeah. It feels like yeah. It feels like a feels like a, a lifetime. It's been like five or six weeks since we actually, you know, had a catch up. Um. But yeah, thanks for making it, dude. One of the one of the things we always do with our guests uh, is we ask two questions. So, yep. uh, sorry, not two questions, but we get our guests to talk about two things that everybody knows about them and two things that uh, people might not know about you. So, do you wanna do you wanna enlighten us sure. with those? <laughs> sure. Um, so I think the, the two things that everyone knows about me is I love eating food, especially sugary food like donuts and chocolate and all that stuff. I'm a sucker for that stuff. <laughs> and <laughs> that'll be the first one. The second one, I'll probably say um, I love, yeah, as Doc said, I love lifting. That's, that's, that's another one. Um, two things people don't know about me is when I was growing up, um, I think I spent six, seven years learning how to play the Indian drums, um, known as the tablas. And yeah, that was a, that was a big part of my childhood. Um, a lot of people don't know about, had a lot of fun doing that. And I would say the other thing is when I was, I got sent to India twice to live there. Uh, first time I got sent when I was in grade three, um, for a year. And then the second time I got sent there when I was in year nine and I went to a boarding school for two years there. So I think that's another thing people don't know about me. All right. So the intro yeah. is kind of like the context of where you are now and the human you've, you know, kind of became, but that's a perfect segue to like kind of where your journey started, taking you back to mm. what I know as your why, uh, back uh, in India as a, as a young young man do you want to kind of explain why you got sent back there and you know what how that was so impactful on you <laughs> yeah yeah so um the first time I got sent there I was sent there for disciplinary reasons for my parents because I was such a uh, naughty kid um I would do things like I would literally steal steal anything I could get my hands on um and at the time so we my parents moved to Australia when in 1997. Um, I was three at the time when we came here. And um, they were very hardworking people. So they did a lot of sacrifice early on. Um, and because they were sacrificing so much early on, you know, buying a new house uh, in 1999, uh, and also another property as well, um, they couldn't really, they didn't really want to spend money on like unnecessary things for us, which is why um, I didn't really get a lot of stuff growing up. And that's why I had the tendency of uh, fast hands. I just want to take whatever I can, whatever I can get my hands on, right? So, like one yeah. thing that I used to steal all the time was Pokemon cards. 
Like I would, <laughs> I would literally like in school, like you would have, I don't know if you would have remembered this doc, like it might've been after your time, but I, I'm pretty sure Marky remembers this, right? Like in yeah. school, like Pokemon cards trading was a thing, man. Awesome, and yeah, it was massive, dude. Like in my school, they banned it because people were like getting ripped off and shit. They banned it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best shit i think think mine was like Yu-Gi-Oh cards i remember that i wasn't really yeah but i remember your Yu-Gi-Oh similar thing yeah 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 so basically i was just stealing that i would even steal money i would get into fights on the street with like kids down the block like that kind of stuff i was a completely different dude um and they sent me to india just to get some perspective and to kind of straighten myself out because my i think my parents could see the path that i was going down and they were like, we need to break this. And thank God they sent me to India. Um, so that first time I went there was for, for the discipline and also to learn how to live outside of home at an early age. Mm. So I went there, I lived with my uncle and auntie for a year. Again, I was mischievous there too. But in the Indian schooling system, you get that beaten out of you. Like literally, they will, if you do something wrong, the teacher will take a stick, get your hand out. And they'll smack your hands. So, oh, yeah. So I had that. And then um, I had one, uh, I guess, yeah, that, that's pretty much why I went there. Yeah. How, how old were you um, at the time? The first, the first time you'd, uh, you were sent to India? Um, so I was sent there to do grade three. So how old is that? Nine? Nine, ten? About nine. Do, do you yeah. remember... Remember much of what was going through your mind when you're like, did you know you were going to India or was it like you're going no. on holidays and you're staying here? <laughs> like- no, no, no. So, so, okay. So the reason why we went there the first time, like, okay, my parents kind of tricked me into it because um, I guess another thing people that know about me is kind of my culture, which is I'm, I'm a Hindu, but then in the Hindu culture, there's different kinds of Hindus. So I'm what you call as a Brahmin and uh, it's like a different caste, right? Within within a Hindu uh, religion, and what we would do is once um, a, a boy would hit a certain age, they would have to get like a ritual done, like an initiation ritual, to be like, "Oh, you are on the path of spirituality or something," right? So they took me to India for that because I I was at the right age to to become a Brahmin, like a proper Brahmin, and practice like what a Brahmin does. And I thought I was going there for that, so I did that. Right. And then they just left me there and came home. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, I want to come home. <laughs> and, 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 you with, there. <laughs> and you were with your, your aunt and uncle, did you say? Yeah, yeah. Family friends. Um, because like when they were when my parents were like in India, they they were like with them a lot. Um, the the auntie and uncle that I was with actually raised my parents as well. Yeah. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, that's intense, man. And how how did they explain it to you when when you when you kind of jared and realized that your parents weren't in the same country anymore? <laughs> I don't know exactly what they said, but they're saying, "Oh, you're gonna start school next month." I'm like, "What? I already have a school in Australia." <laughs> but yeah, no, I was um. The thing, the funny thing is like the ritual that they make you do, like they, they like full on shave your head and they keep like a, like a, just like a circle of hair on the back, which is like how you're meant to, I don't know. It's, it's, it's some really quirky ritual that, that they do. And I was like, 
I really don't want to go back to my school in Australia with this hair. <laughs> and then they're like, all right, we'll just leave you here. <laughs> wow. What, what's the, um, I'm actually really interested in that. Like what's that, what's the significance um, of Brahma? Is that right? How you say it? Like, um, the significance of that is like, have you guys heard of, um, have you guys heard of a, a, a way of life called, it's called a, uh, being a brahmachari. Have you guys heard of that? I don't think so. No, uh, I can't say so, that. So that's like leading a path of uh, kind of almost being like a Buddhist where you're not giving into desires and you're just living a, a really righteous life where you, you don't give into any desires and um, even like you don't even get married. Okay. It, it's like, it's like that kind of life. Um, obviously not to that extent, right? but to like focus really hard on education uh, to become, it's pretty much like to become a better human. Okay. Yeah. Right. That's wow. pretty much what it is. Yeah. To become a better human, but to also be more connected spiritually. All right. So how about, how long did you actually spend in India? Was it only a year? That, that was a year. Yeah. Yeah. And then you came back yeah. and started what grade back in Australia? What's so the- I was meant to start grade four, but then I came back from India. They were like, Oh, you must be smart. You can skip a grade. So then they put me in grade five. <laughs> Back from India and just assumed you were smart. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're about to find out that you are actually quite smart. But um, far out, man. That's a something I think a lot of people would never have actually had to go through or actually got to experience as well, especially as a young kid or let alone their entire lives. Like, how, Would you say that that kind of changed you from your stealing ways or... Did it make have a big impact? Impact, or is it kind of past tense? Oh, it definitely had a huge impact. That was like one of the first place, like first experiences that I had where I truly changed as a person um, in India. Because when you're in India, we take the things here for granted in a first world country. So I didn't really understand what I had here until I went to India, and mm. it kind of forced me to grow up really quickly because I was seeing like all these people my age um, with nothing, right? People my age begging on the street when I'm in a nice house, going to school, having food, all that kind of stuff. Um, And I had an experience when I was in India, um, I, I became friends with this really smart kid because I was really stupid compared to all the kids in India. They're like very smart and they take education extremely seriously. Um, I wasn't, so I wanted to make friends with the smartest guy and this guy came first in every single test in India to, to pass to the next grade, you have to do an exam. So at the end of grade three, you have to do an exam. And if you fail the exam, you stay in grade three. That's how competitive it is at a young age. Right? So this kid, this kid got first in every single test first, and they would have like a leaderboard um on on the chalkboard like the ranks one to ten i would always be outside of ten i would be like i don't know i think there was like 30 kids in the class i would always be like 25 to 30 that's where i'd always be and i would see this one kid consistently get first rank every single time i'm like oh i want to know what this guy's about so then i just started talking to this guy and um he comes from like a very strict household where 
his parents just force him to study all the time and he just doesn't know anything except books and then just studying all day long and one day um and he comes from a very poor family and one day he, he came second rank and his parents like they they beat him like they didn't like him coming second and they beat him and i was like what the hell is this is like an extreme way to live right so i don't know i felt really bad for him and i felt that was the first time i kind of had empathy towards someone because you know growing up in australia i was like a very naughty kid i would, I would only think about myself and be selfish so what i did was i used what i'm good at which is stealing so <laughs> i went to my uncle and auntie's <laughs> house i literally stole money from them mm. like they didn't know i stole money from them i went to the stationery shop and i bought everything i could get for however much money i had and i gave it to that kid and the expression on that kid's face like it really moved me at that point but like doing something good for someone else for the first time i felt something real within me um so that was a really life-changing moment for me and like ever since that experience, I knew that I wanted to help people. Far out, man. That's, yeah. That's incredibly, incredibly deep. I mean, for you at such a young age, where were you then? Like 10 or nine? Yeah, I was nine, nine, 10. Nine, 10. To yeah. be able to kind of even, do you think you realize, you did realize at that age that you wanted to help people or is there something you looked back on as an experience and were like, now after the fact, I can realize how, how, kind of emotionally that affected me? Um, I would say in the moment I knew, in the moment I knew, because when I was in grade, when I was there with my parents before they left me, like I, I saw this one, like a grandma with her grandson. Mm. So in India, everyone, there's like a ton of beggars everywhere on the road, right? They came up to, to us and we had money. And they were literally asked, they were begging for money because they didn't have any food. And then in that moment, I'm like, we've got money. Why can't we give them something? Mm. Like I already had that feeling, but mm. we didn't give them anything. And I was, and I, I just felt really bad because I saw how they were suffering. So in the moment I could tell that those little experiences built up and I could just tell these people are suffering. Mm. I'm, I come from a better place than them. So in a way, I'm kind of obligated to help these people because, you know, they're my people anyway, right? And I've come from a much better background than them. I can do something. Mm, it seems like even though you may have had some disciplinary problems, you still had your morals in check, which is arguably more important. You know, it's hard to yeah. teach morals. Yeah, like my, my I, I think I get that a lot from my mom. Like she, she raised me to be a, a really good person. Like I give that, but to my parents, like my dad was very busy working. And so like my mom would be the disciplinary at home. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, she always told me like, just be a good person. Don't do anything bad to anyone else. And the universe will reflect that on you. Wow. Far around. So yeah. Kind of wise message. Just really a lot of people knew that we'd probably be in a much happier world, wouldn't we? <laughs> But like the, you know, karma, that's a, that's an Indian term. Yeah. We, be, we believe in that. Yeah. That, that's how we, that's how we live life. Like if, if we do something bad, something bad will happen to us. Mm -hmm. We don't want to do that. So just be good.
Mm. I think it's interesting, like, even at like eight or nine, kids understand experiences and kids understand um, right and wrong. You might not have the concept or like the label for it as a eight or nine year old, but you're experiencing these things and you're kind of understanding, you know, how does that make me feel? Mm. Um, so I think it's, it's quite interesting, like to have that experience at eight or nine and sort of understand, you know, one to seek out the smartest person. So that's kind of like looking for a mentor. So you, you built different. <laughs> and then the second thing is, you know, to take from where there is and then giving to where there isn't, you know, kind of like, you know, providing, uh, to those that are, are like less fortunate or like are going through a tough time. So I think that comes from a place of love, right? Um, so even yeah, if, you, yeah. if you've got bad habits or you're doing bad acts, you can still be a loving person. It's, mm. it's, uh, it's kind of the two separate things, although not always, I suppose. Yeah, not always. Mm. Yeah, for sure, man. I think, I think um, perspective changes everyone. I think even with you, Doc, remember how you were saying you went to Bali and that, that change of scenery and you're seeing different people that have no other option to but to live the way they live mm -hmm. that really affects you man mm -hmm. absolutely and it changed changed you as a person right absolutely i mean it's like for all of us have a similar kind of experience me you know being <laughs> i guess white and having less kind of challenges <laughs> <laughs> it's true though it's true though, less challenges, if that makes sense to like, I've never had to, I was never had to go back to India and um, deal with that. Or, you know, I've never had a kind of like in both of your experiences, actually very kind of harsh strict conditions when it comes to study and stuff like that. For me, it's been relatively easy. So to be opened up to, you know, a perspective experience, like the really, really poor people in uh, Gili, Tarunga in Bali, like that was, that was like something I, honestly don't even know how to explain nor kind of like people just need to go and experience more of that it's, it's easy to see it on tv and be like yeah no, i understand people don't have opportunity etc cetera, etc cetera. but to see it in real life it's it's really really emotional and it's kind of what you're what you're talking about is seeing all the unfortunate beggars in india and stuff like that as well so it's, it's it's the it's the feeling of helplessness that you can't help someone yeah when you want to help them like you've got the energy you've got the time but you just don't have resources. Yeah, exactly right. It's that, that I hate that feeling and that I'm sure you had that feeling too, Doc. Yeah, I mean, there's no, like even at that stage, I was getting, like we were getting into a, a, a kind of a position where we have more money, but even the amount of money I had at that time, I couldn't do enough to help as many people. Yeah. So like one problem uh, that you, you, you realize is when you, even if you go on like GoFundMe pages or stuff like that, you can only help so many people and there's so many stories that are justifying help, right? There's hundreds, yeah. hundreds of thousands or millions just on that page itself alone on GoFundMe. Like I haven't got enough capital myself individually at this point to help. And then yeah. it's kind of like, if you have the internet connection to even be able to put up a GoFundMe page, there's people in worse positions than that. So it's a really, really, rough topic and that's where we get to kind of hardcore's vision of donating a billion dollars through you know um effective altruism so it's it's a really really tough topic but people don't think about it enough to actually have an answer they just think selfishly upon themselves of like well i'm going through a bad time as well mm -hmm. so 
Absolutely, man. Yeah, pretty pretty rough. I think just adding to that, I think uh, with the new perspective of seeing, especially in developing countries, you have that sense of um, a contrast of your worries versus somebody else's worries. And I found that like, you know, a lot of the reasons why I did traveling was like, for example, to kind of have new experiences because I was kind of feeling like I was in a rut. So it was like an adventure mm-hmm. way to sort of get out. And when you've got that contrast of seeing okay, these people's worries are, uh, you know, sort of around food, around sort of, you know, living day to day, but they're still happy compared to yourself where you're kind of worried about, hey, I can't get that car or like, you know, I can't, you know, um, my income is low compared to my friends or whatever it is, right? And the problems or the worries are completely different in a first world country versus a third world country. Absolutely, man. I mean, it's that whole hierarchy of needs, right? They prepare for unfortunate people, the people can't even eat enough food to actually have enough energy or to sustain themselves to become better. You know, we, we have, like Samo was saying, I mean, we got enough food here, <laughs> no problem at all. Like we got enough mm. food here that we have food problems that we eat too much food. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people out there don't even have shelter. And that's why I saw a ghillie tea as well. It's, it's, they don't even have the basic well, rights of a human being. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us, you. so you went through, you came back to Australia, you went through school. Uh, yep. What was like the next, uh, what was like the next couple of years or sort of uh, like your, your, your later years in school like? Uh, yeah, so I came back and I was really mellowed out. Like I wasn't, I wasn't going out of my way to cause any trouble. I just wanted to, after seeing those experiences, I, I was just like, what can I do to improve myself to one day get into a position to help people. So I just focused on studying. I didn't know anything else. I didn't know anything about investing. I didn't know anything about reading specific books, mindset. I didn't know anything. All I knew is that I had to study hard, get a good education, make some money. So one day I can do something. That's all I knew. So then I was, you know, just being a regular student. Um, So year five, year six, doing just the, the normal stuff. And then year seven, year eight was a bit rough for me. That's when uh, I had different challenges in my life. So I went from being a bully to being bullied (laughs) in year seven, year eight. Um, Because I was in like a predominantly white school and they didn't, at the time, they didn't really understand, uh, (laughs) I guess, different cultures. They didn't really respect different cultures. So I was immediately like, I immediately had my neck out all the time without doing anything so those two years were rough for me um and then in year nine i switched schools to frankston high school which is the school where i met dylan um and then in year nine i went back to india for year nine and year 10 uh boarding school that was a different story that was a completely different experience tell us more about that yeah so the the boarding school um (laughs) <laughs> that was that was uh to explain it i'll probably say it it kind of was like a prison like, <laughs> wow, like yeah. in the best in, in the best way possible because like you'd have like your your clicks and shit because mm. you're living in a boarding school right so yeah i'm the the guy who came from australia and all the locals are like nah you're not indian man 
I'm not Indian, man. So you don't fit in here. So I didn't fit in at, in Australia and I didn't fit in at, in India. So then oh, wow. I had to, yeah, I had to overcome that. It took me like probably a month and a half to really make any, any friends, maybe two months to make friends. The, the funny thing is they were speaking in Hindi, which is the national language of India. And they were speaking all this shit behind my back. But the, the funny thing is I could understand everything they were saying. <laughs> like literally, literally everything. I couldn't, I couldn't speak it, but I could understand it. And one day I just responded to them in, in English and yeah, just earned their respect, I guess. Um, and then I started making friends. But when I went there, like I thought I could handle it, but there's something different about living in a boarding school versus living in your auntie's house in India. Like the first two weeks, man, I was on the phone crying to my parents because I just miss home so much. Mm. I was homesick. And then after a while, once you start making friends, you're like, dude, I don't ever want to go home. This is the best shit. Yeah. So, wow, right. yeah. Wow. What, like when you're in a boarding school, like do you get to leave like the actual school so itself? That, like how does it work? Usually, usually those like boarding schools, they will allow you to leave on the weekends and stuff. But in this one, we literally had everything in this school. So you would only leave for like holidays. So, so you have even like weekends, shops and stuff? We'd still, yeah, we'd have shops. We'd have like every single sports facility you could ever think of. This was like an international school with really high standards for sports, sports wow. and studying. Yeah. yeah. So what they do is like you, you enter the school and then you pick a sport that you want to get good at. I naturally picked soccer. Yeah. So they actually train you by a professional coach. Wow. And that's yeah. part of like the curriculum there. Yeah, it is. They, they'd really want you to get a balance of both education and also sports, but then they also do other things like, you know, arts, music, uh, we'd have festivals in the in the school, things like that. So like we would only go out uh, during holidays. Ah, oh, right. It sounds like the hardcore like dojo oh, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. we want to build. You know, the big leisure center we want to build. Yeah, oh, right. Dude, they, they even had like a cinema every single day. So what they really like is to they pride in the in 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 the food that they make. Right. They really take pride in that. And they have this really strict rule. You can eat as much as you want when you're allowed to eat. You cannot take any food back to your dorm. That is the rule, right? Okay. And every single day, man, three meals a day, it was literally a buffet, an open buffet. Like every single thing we'd have, we'd have like um, uh, naans, we'd have fucking paneer, we'd have all the kind of the good shit. Chicken 65. We'd have the good shit. Uh, it was a it was a vegetarian school, so we didn't have chicken. That's the only problem. And I have a funny story about that because that is a school where I actually tried chicken for the first time. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, there's a there's, um a friend of mine snuck in KFC one day. Oh, you're doomed then. <laughs> oh, you're doomed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there was like there was so much going on in that school that taught me so much about how to be more social how to get out of your comfort zone and actually talk to people and to fit in different environments. So that's what I learned from that school, how to communicate with different people. Wait, chicken for the first time. Were you vegetarian growing up? Yeah, man, I was vegetarian. Really? I didn't know that. Wow. 
Yeah, I was vegetarian for like 16 years. Yeah. Wow. Dude, I have a photo yeah. of Samia when we're living at Keysborough. I'm eating like a tea. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it's literally like this big. And it's just... <laughs> I'll If I can yeah. get it, I'll put it up on the screen right here. <laughs> it's the best photo of it. It's crazy. Yeah. Man, yeah. so I, that's really interesting. So, yeah. wow, communication-wise, like I'm sure kind of having to deal with people all the time. Like you don't get to go back to your home, be with like your family and stuff like that. You have to always be kind of with your friends. Um, when it comes to dorms, were you, were you, did you have your own room? Were you sharing room? How did that work? We were sharing with, we were sharing with three other people for each room. So would there be four boys in one room? Wow. Yeah. Right. So you'd really have, it's like literally like prison. You'd have to make friends, man yeah you have to make friends and you have to know how to communicate because if you know how to communicate essentially you can run the whole school yeah right you literally you you get your way the whole time right it's just running gangs and bloody indian schools now summer dude there was so much politics going on in that school man i i just stayed out of it i stayed out of it because I like to, I don't like to be in the drama. I like to look at it from a third person and just see and learn yeah. from it. Um, yeah. So I stayed out of it. Yeah. You're 15, 16 at this time. Mm -hmm. Is this co ed? Yeah, it is. Mucky, mm. do, do you have any kind of, do you know anyone else who's ever been to a boarding school? Like I've, I don't have zero experience kind of conversating when it comes to that. The only thing I can kind of relate to is like my parents. Like I was a naughty kid as well. They like kind of threatened sending me to a boarding school, but it was like the weakest threat I've ever heard in my entire life. But like, yeah. Do you know anyone's been to a boarding school, Marky? Nah, uh, I don't. I don't think I. I don't think I do. To be honest, no. dude, that's like a. It's like a movie, bro. It's a movie, <laughs> dude. Is, I, whenever I watch Prison Break, I'm like, dude, this reminds me of my my school. <laughs> <laughs> No, not really. <laughs> so probably less deaths, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but um, because we couldn't eat any food in the dorms, we literally snuck um, top cup ramen. Uh, that was the currency. So if you had oh. the more cup ramen you had, the more leverage you'd have. <laughs> That's mad. Dude, this is literally yeah. prison. What the? <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you have to know how to communicate. If you don't know how to communicate then life's going to be hard in in prison and cigarettes and like booze and stuff and yeah you, the contraband is ramen <laughs> ramen man ramen and chocolate that's the contraband <laughs> yeah so what was that's the um what was your parents purpose of sending you to like was it just for you to study more was it again disciplinary like what was the is that something that like a lot of uh like indian kids uh, go through or do or is that just your parents decision mm. no nah, not a lot of people do this um we had a family friend like a, a, i'll call her a cousin um mm. because like you know that's what we call each other but yeah my cousin pretty much went to that school and she was there when i went there um and her parents talked to my parents saying oh this is a good school it'll be a good experience for me to live in a boarding school uh, it'll also be a, a good way to set myself up for VCE because mm -hmm. I was going to finish year 10 there and then do year 11, year 12 here. Um, so that was my, my parents thinking at the time. And also like for discipline, right? Like you can only eat three times a day. You have to 
physically be active you have to take your studies seriously as well um yeah and like i when i went there like my studies were really terrible and then i picked it up along the way because you know again it's environment right like everyone is there to study mm. so you're in that environment so yeah they were thinking that will set me up for 11 year 12. i wonder like so like as a if, if this was in contrast to you in australia at 15 16 you'd be motivated by sort of like chasing girls and like the new playstation and like you know going to the movies and that sort of thing what's it like when you're in that sort of boarding school environment what motivates you at the time to kind of look forward like what are you looking forward to or what are you trying to um yeah what are you looking ahead for well in the boarding school if you were really good at sport you were like a rock star in the school like if you could represent yeah if you could represent the school like in competitions against other schools you were like a rock star so like for me i was decent at soccer so all i wanted was i was looking forward to just playing soccer because i wanted to get better at it um because you know i'm getting coached by professional right but to also win respect mm -hmm. yeah that's what i was looking forward to wow this is this is yeah. crazy i imagine the girls probably probably uh oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just quietly Dude, you're all, like living together i don't know if this is a movie mm. that kind of like is te televised on netflix or some other kind of internet channel but far out boys that's intense um wait you being sent over and kind of purely to study in your family's eyes like study is a big part of your story and kind of the stereotype of going to uni and uh, getting a really high education um, and working a full-time job for your whole life like you don't do that at the moment but it was a really big really really big part of your childhood in your early years like um can you maybe speak on speak on that because mark you can relate to you here really well yeah um I think this is a very cultural thing, um, societal thing uh, within the Indian culture where you're, as soon as you're born, you're either, if you're a guy, you're either going to be a doctor, lawyer, or an engineer. That's literally it. That, that's your life. Um, and because of that, um, <laughs> I chose engineering, right? I went down that path. Um, because like naturally I was a, a really good problem solver. I loved maths over English and I understood physics. I like physics. I was, I was shit at chemistry. I wasn't good at biology and none of that stuff. So it made sense to do engineering and I did engineering and there was a lot of pressure on me from my parents to pursue down this path of, you know, go to uni, study engineering, get a job as an engineer. Um, and then the, the, the normal get a wife, house, kids. That's it. Like I was going down that path, man. And it kind of scared me because I could see everyone else was doing the same thing. And I just questioned why are we all doing the same thing? Just, it just didn't make sense to me. Mm. But I had that pressure because if, if, I, if I did something different, which I am now, my parents are going to look bad in front of other people within the community they're going to be like oh my son is a, a lawyer what does your son do oh my son's unemployed 
how how does that how does that look to my parents right <laughs> like my parent like i i'm an investor i'm a full-time investor now but to other other uh, people's parents they're like oh you don't have a job yeah that, that's what it comes off as yeah yeah but like I, i'm I, i'm we're in a much better position than them because i have no debt and i get to control how much i work and how much i make yeah like i'm in full control here yet i look bad in front of other people because that's the societal norm you, you got to be in that framework or else you're going to look like a fool yeah i mean i guess we, we do know that that you know it comes from love from your parents because they want the best for you they don't want you to take risk they want you to you know make sure you're safe but you know that's actually unfortunately we now know that, that that's lack of knowledge mm. you know so it's kind of I'm not sure, Marky, if you want to kind of share some of your experiences on like how those societal or cultural norms also like affected you. Yeah, I think pretty similar, like whether you're sort of Asian or ethnic, there's a big uh, focus on education and education is a pathway to work, which means that you can provide for your family. So like it's, they don't overthink it. They don't kind of see individuality. They kind of see kind of your sum of the community. You're kind of just, really just you know you're doing your part for your family if you want to take a different path you can do that in your own time and make it happen but you need to go down a secure path first as an obligation first and then everything else is like secondary to that i think like there's a yeah there's a lot of similarities between uh ethnic and asian cultures and it's somewhat that sort of suppressed culture forces a lot of uh, individuals like to to kind of want to look for like a different path i think because of that enormous sort of pressure to you know be something and it gets intensified when you don't think that the path is for you or maybe you're not as smart as the other people so what's the point it's kind of like all right i'm heading down this direction you're telling me education's good but i'm not good at it so you're kind of pulling your hair out you're like so i need to find a different path if i want to get my advantage even as a young kid you kind of realize that mm. um do you wanna do you wanna tell us a little bit about how you figured your way out or like where there was first kind of you know the seed was planted, hey, there's there's a different route somewhere. Like what what is that? Yeah. What did that look like? I think um for me that was kind of towards the end of my aerospace degree. Um yeah. until that point, I I was just doing the normal stuff. Like I I really didn't have any knowledge about uh mindset investing for the future like my big goal at that time was just earn or get a job finish my degree get a job and then just get a job that pays you like 80 grand a year that will set me up for life i didn't i had literally no plan after that that was my big achievement so i can get some validation from my parents that was literally it right because at the end of the day end of the day was i doing this for me or was i doing this for how my parents looked so like what you said, Marky, was so true because I felt I knew that I didn't really understand it, but I knew that in the back of my head to a certain degree, oh, I'm kind of obligated because my parents have done so much for me that I should follow the, uh, the safe route first because that's what my parents were telling me to do as well. They were saying, do the safe stuff first and then in the future, do whatever you want. Mm. But then you're losing time 100%. And, and, and not taking the risk, right? So. I totally agree with you there. Um, 
but then like yeah towards the end i'd say last year of my aerospace degree i was doing things i was always doing things on youtube like youtube was my platform well youtube was my tv i didn't watch tv youtube was my tv so i consumed so much of it and like i just knew this platform is going to be around forever right and i i would do the little things like i would make music on youtube i would make like gaming videos on youtube where i would like play a game and then do commentary on the game while i was playing it i would do things like that just to like express myself because when i was here um i didn't really have a lot of friends and like the only thing that i could do to express myself was to make youtube videos and to like be creative on youtube um and one day i remember like when pokemon go came out i made a really stupid stupid silly skit on youtube about like dumb ways to die playing pokemon go because everyone's <laughs> just like looking at their phone right don't even see what's what's happening in front of them and then they'll just like i just had the idea what if they like just do dumb shit playing pokemon go and they die in like a really stupid way so i just made that skit right and i was authentically being myself and i didn't really care what people thought about me because i was just expressing myself that was my space youtube was my space and then um like i said like i became friends with dylan when i was in year 11 in frankston high school and we only knew each other for one year because he went back to bentley and i don't know i just feel like things are meant to happen like the universe just has a plan for you right like what are the odds that in that one year i met dylan and we became friends like what are the odds of that happening mm. right it's like it's meant to be so then dylan's uh like i haven't like we we lost communication for like all these years and then dylan saw my video then he messaged me on facebook saying hey this is, you're pretty funny like we should like you know catch up sometime and like at the time dylan was uh day trading or he was doing something with trading at the time and like on starting to build hardcore headset at that time and he had like a a vision um and he wanted to be different i think that's that was probably the 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 core of what i wanted to do as well i just wanted to do something different i wanted to break the mold of the traditional route for indian people and for myself like i just didn't want to do something boring for the rest of my life which is why i was expressing myself on youtube right so then i was like i thought nothing of it um and then i decided to have a chat with dylan like uh, we went to how tran um for the first time and um ever since then like he just talked to me about what he wanted to do with hardcore head start investing and ever since like since when he talked about investing it just clicked to me it just made so much sense i just didn't think about it myself like it made so much sense hearing it from an external source um so then after that i'm like this guy's interesting he is not like everyone else where like he, he's doing the regular stuff he's doing his own thing and he's happy doing it so then i was just like attracted to that kind of energy and i just kept going back and just kept talking to dylan over and over again and then he started mentoring me and i took that course that first hardcore head start course which is a 3 day course and he said he he charges like $350 for the 3 day course when he said oh don't worry about paying you can pay me back whenever you want just it's free when he said that dude he earned my respect because i didn't have money at the time but he wanted to provide value 
So I could see like, he's a genuinely good person. And yeah, that, that three day course really changed me because at the time, like I was saying, I would only, my, my big goal or my big dream was 80K a year, man. Mm. Get a degree in 80K a year. That was my big dream. And then in that course, I learned to think big. That was like the, the, the change. So it was like the final year of my aerospace degree when, I, when things really started changing. If I didn't make that stupid video on YouTube, man, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> I, I, feel like you, I feel like you've always been, like you've had little sparks of creativity though. And what, what makes you kind of really interesting is you're kind of like that intersect between sort of science and art. So you've got like that, you know, creative side, but that really smart, you know, engineering analytical side, which kind mm -hmm. of makes for like a really, really interesting combination. Absolutely. Um, and then you just found, and then you just found the right person, you know, you started finding your tribe and the first person was Dylan. Yeah. Um, it's opened up a lot of opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Like at the time, I think I was, I think I was the first, I think me and another person, we were like, we came in at the same time. You were the first. But we had, for sure. We, had, we, we literally had nothing. Like we had nothing, literally nothing, mm. not even a desk. It was just a vision at the time. And I'm like, mm. This guy, I, I know him. He thinks big. I have no obligations. I'm going to go do the same thing. I want to think big. And I just took the leap, man. It could have gone wrong in so many ways, but it turned out okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's turned out all right. So that was now five years ago, Summer? Five years? I, th I think it was six years ago now. Six years ago, was it? I think so. COVID's I a write-off. <laughs> COVID doesn't count. <laughs> no, I, I think it was six years because 2016. Yeah, actually, no, five years. Mm. Five, years, five yeah. years. So five years out, I mean, a lot's changed and kind of that's where you and, our, you and I's relationship comes into it where I think probably six months after you started, you were a mentee. I think I, is that right? Six months after I you you came in, something I like think that. So. Yeah, something yeah, yeah. So that's when yeah. we first started getting to know each other, and like, ah, right. Like uh, I come from a world where I, and still had the same mindset that success was getting a degree and getting you know a really good job and being very intelligent. So my idea of intelligence was Sama, and his that kind of like progression through uni. Um, like that's what, you know, like my brain back then thought, well, that's what, just what smart people do. They go to uni and stuff like that. Um, that's what I thought and, too. Yeah. I mean, obviously we know now that it's probably the opposite. <laughs> well, there's always a place for uni. Uh, some people need it, but the majority probably don't do enough thinking to realize that they don't actually need it. Um, what was the first, I guess, couple of years like in the journey, realizing that you actually know nothing trying to separate, I guess, ego from your personality. You want to talk a bit about that? Yeah. Um, yeah, at the start, yeah, I would say like I didn't really have a lot of ego. I just, I was really curious to learn. Um, yeah, like I've always been like that. I, I just want to learn. I want mm. to learn things that I'm interested in. Um, and investing was the thing that I found really, really interesting. And now it's a passion of mine, right? Um, 
but yeah like before i would be very reactive to things so i wouldn't really think about stuff i would just say things because i obviously don't have any knowledge and i just wanted to look smart mm. um uh but like i didn't like even though i had a degree in aerospace engineering i never let that become a qualifier for anything i was never like oh i'm an aerospace engineer i know this i was never mm. like that mm -hmm. i was like I always detach myself from that because to me that has no value. So like, I ha I don't know, like with ego, I would say there was some ego, everyone has ego, right? But I would say I was always open-minded. I just wanted to learn. So mm. I was like, I was always a student and to go back to being a student, I, I love being a student and I thrive off being an underdog. Mm. So I was like, this is my element. I want to be in ground zero. Mm. yeah interesting all right yeah. cool so i guess we know the first the most important thing of the journey is not just knowledge but it's money right getting as much money in the market so in your position coming out of kind of like an aerospace degree with debt uh and you know whatever job at the time like how was the the grind as per se to get as much money in the market as possible how was that it was not easy man um so after my aerospace degree I got a few part-time gigs here and there, but really didn't have an actual job as an engineer um, until towards the end of 2016. That's when I really started. That's when I got the job at the Department of Defense. Um, and that's when like I could, I had a, like I had the opportunity to finally work and put money into the markets. Until then I was just scraping by like whatever I could get. Mm. Um, I made some stupid decisions. Like I, I bought a car. <laughs> Right. I mean, I bought a car when I shouldn't have at the time. Like I should, I, it's okay to buy a car, but like the, the timing was wrong and I didn't understand that. So I made those type of mistakes, but I was working hard, man. Like just to save as much as I can, keep my expenses low at the time I was living at home. So my expenses were low and I was just following what Dylan was saying. Just put money into the market every single week, every single pay that you get, just put money in. Mm. Um, I literally had no cash in my bank, I was investing everything. Mm. So I was very aggressive with it. That's, that's, I mean, it's what's necessary at that age, right? And uh, probably, I'm not sure if you want to get into it, but a little bit, I guess, about your family when it comes to investments, they're relatively under leveraged and don't take a lot of risk. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the polar opposite. Was there a lot of challenging kind of conversations and thoughts between what Dylan was saying and what um kind of like your parents were saying because that was a massive thing for me it was like dylan saying one thing mentor saying one thing and then you know the rest of the world is saying something else um i yeah so i didn't really take any advice from my parents because i knew if i took advice from my parents i would be like them i knew that so I only listened to Dylan and I didn't really, when I was investing all my money that I earned from my job into whatever assets that I was investing at the time, um, I never told my parents. Oh, okay. I never talked to them about it because I knew they wouldn't understand. And I knew that like, I, I wasn't smart enough to explain it to them. They just wouldn't understand. But it, it made sense in my head that I, I actually, at the time, I didn't even know how much, what they, what assets they had. I didn't know they were that under leverage at the time. Mm. All I knew, well, like I remember one, the only one time that I clashed heads with my parents, um, it was, was with my dad 
when um, the first book that really flipped my mindset about investing in finance was Rich Dad Poor Dad. That was the mm-hmm. first book. And it really made a lot of sense. Hold assets and don't hold liabilities, right? Mm-hmm. Assets brings money into your pockets. Liabilities takes it out. Mm. So I, I, I was telling my dad, um, you should read this book because my dad was really into real estate and he still is. And he prefers real estate over stocks and other form of assets. Um, so I was like, why don't you read this book? And he's like, I already read it ages ago. Books don't mean anything. It's just a book. You can't do anything from it. I'm like, so I had that environment and I was just clashing heads with him and I just disagreed with him. And ever since he said that kind of stuff, I just didn't say anything. I just mm. kept investing the way I wanted to invest. And if I made a mistake, it's on me. Mm. Interesting. Do you feel like it from there, maybe it was like a trying to prove him wrong kind of thing? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Like it was, it was always, my dad has always been the biggest chip on my shoulder. Interesting. Wow. Mm. So like growing up, I would always seek validation from my dad, Mm. especially my dad, because to him growing up, nothing was good enough. Mm. So I would always try to outdo someone else just to say, Hey, look, this is what I achieved today. It was always like, oh, what, what did you do today? Mm. It was always kind of like that. So to, I guess that in a way is ego. Mm. So I'm like, I want to, I have that ego to prove to my dad that my way is better than your way. Mm. Oh, interesting. All right. yeah. So I guess um, like one place I do want to go, because I think it's incredibly relevant in the time that we live in is similar to is like following trends drop shipping um and you've had a, a decent amount of experience like that with a um an unfortunate failed business uh similar to marky so it's like the question i kind of want to ask is what advice and I mean, maybe tell the story about mm-hmm. um the the venture that you decided to take and kind of explain what, when, when that was, what year that was, what the thought process was, what you're going through. I think it was after 2017 as well. Right. So yeah, maybe kind of just give a rundown of 2017 and then how you're feeling after that and how that led into um, that business venture of yours. Yeah, man. So I think 2017, 2018, I think you guys might have seen it as well. There was like a huge trend on YouTube about dropshipping. And it was just like all these videos about like, oh, how I made six figures in a month dropshipping. So things like that caught my attention and I looked into it, but again, wasn't self-aware, right? Uh, about my skills as an entrepreneur um, and as a business owner. And I didn't really have any understanding of uh like accounting, like how much money should be coming in, how much you should be spending, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I was just following this, like I bought courses on like how to start dropshipping businesses. And all I wanted to do at the time uh, was to generate passive income. And I'll tell you what, there's no such thing as passive income. Like you have <laughs> to put in some work to make passive income, right? Um, so yeah, like I just... I think in that moment as well, I was detached, more detached from Hardcore Headstart. Like I was kind of going off a different path, trying to see if I can do this on my own. And that was probably the ego play, I would say. Like I thought I could do this on my own and turns out I, I couldn't. Um, so I kind of distanced myself from like you guys and Hardcore Headstart and 
at the time, uh, I was sell uh, drop shipping products from China, like on this website that I made that I was paying for. And I had a mentor at the time um, who told me about all these how to market products. So it's pretty much like it's cold marketing, right? So you would pay money to run ads that hopefully generate more revenue than how much it costs to run the ad. And that's how you would make, make your money. Um, but the thing is, it cuts out quality. Because now it's just speed and it's so transactional that you, you don't give any fuck about the customer, right? Like the, you don't care about what the customer receives just as long as you get money out of the customer. So I was going down that path and I was investing so much money into it. I think I, I lost like 20K. I lost 20K from that, from that uh, venture and I learned a lot. Like it, it wasn't just lost my, I learned a lot of information about myself from that. Like the, I was doing a lot of dumb shit. Like I was just buying all these stupid products to test them out because the course said so. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was running ads against them and wondering why it didn't work. But I did have a better idea. Like, so I, I, that was the first store. I had two stores, right? First store was like a physical product store and it didn't work because it from, from China, it took like a month to get there and it would come in Chinese packaging and it would just look horrible. So I mm. kind of had that. I already had that kind of thinking. Like I want to provide value to the customer, but I also want to make quick money. Mm. It was that kind of thinking. So then I've pivoted to digital only. So I was making commissioned digital artwork, customized artwork based on, um, at the time, Rick and Morty was really blowing up. So I was like doing, you get a photo, a portrait photo, like a real life photo, you give it to us and we'll turn it into like a Rick and Morty format of that photo. And I'll just email it to you. So it was like, it was instant, right? It was like, they didn't have to wait for it. I would, I would get um, uh, an artist off of Fiverr get them to do it. And then I would pay the guy from Fiverr and then charge more on my website so I can make a cut. That's mm. how I did it. And I don't know, man, it just, it was a trend, right? So trends die. Mm. And I was just not seeing any results from my marketing and it was just off. Like everything was just off. It was just a pure money play. How can mm. I get money quickly play? And that didn't work. So then um, I felt I fell into like a, a spiral. I had a little bit of depression there because like I was chucking money at something and it just wasn't returning anything. And then I realized, fuck, maybe I'm not meant to be a, uh, the number one. Maybe I'm not meant to be a CEO yet. I don't have the knowledge yet. So then I came back to Dylan and asked to be his mentee again and got back on track. So th I made that mistake. And then from that, I learned so many things about myself yeah that's i mean like even even after going through the beginning of hago hezda and then kind of um in in your own words separating yourself a little bit uh and you were still obviously living in the house we we're still all close but it, it was um it was interesting to watch but i think it's something you needed to go through sure man definitely to understand sure. and like self-awareness is a funny thing right because it's hard to be able to be, you know, everyone wants to be self-aware, but it's hard to actually be self-aware. So sometimes we learn through experience and ex experience kind of is our teacher. So, I mean, for you to be able to come out the other side and 
now you're in such a ridiculously phenomenal position with your creativity at all time high. Everything's at an all time high, your intelligence, your knowledge. I mean, your teeth are so damn white. I mean, everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I, what are the biggest lessons from that? I guess is the question. I think the biggest lesson is if you're in a deep well, there's always a way out. Hmm. There's always a way out. And if you've sunk so much time, so much money, so much resources into something, don't be fooled into thinking it'll work because the universe doesn't work in your way. It works how it wants to work, right? So be prepared for anything. And if it does fail, take it on the chin and go again. And by go again, I mean, learn from your mistake and don't make that mistake again. Mm. That, that's what I would say. Um, there's always a way out. Like if, it, if you failed, good. Because now you know what not to do. Absolutely. Start again, start again. Absolutely. And find, figure out a better, a better solution. And be self-aware, like don't attach your ego to things. I could have mm -hmm. easily been like, I've sunk in $20,000. I'm going to keep going. I could have been a hundred thousand in the hole and gone nowhere. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So know That's... when to quit. Yeah, absolutely. Fire. How's that? Like Marky, you have more experience. Me, I, I've never started a business for myself, so I don't know. Marky, you've got more experience in, in that kind of realm. Yeah. It's super interesting just to hear that perspective and, you know, I never knew that about you, Samir, about that business and like both both businesses actually. Yeah. Uh, but you know, one thing that's kind of stuck with me recently is this idea that you know failure allows you to see um, see things honestly the way God intended. Like in in the sense that like you know when you have a chip on your shoulder, often you have this ego to kind of keep your dreams big and your ambitions big, which is fine, right? But through failed lessons, you learn, okay, what, uh, you know, what self-awareness uh, things am I sort of missing? What skills am I lacking? Um, what do I, what am I prioritizing? Am I prioritizing the right things sort of um, in order to get to where I want to go? So a, a lot of like, for example, me getting into the business was like an ego thing. It's like, hey, I can do this on my own. I can do it at 23. I can do it young as fuck and I can you know, just get into this way before anybody else, right? And then I realized I got into a business that I have no interest in. Mm. And I just had this mentality, if I did it right, I could make the business do well. But it's like, well, you've got no interest in it. So how are you going to sustain? So being good at something is only half the equation. Being interested enough to, to last the distance is the other, other half of the equation. So that's, that's what I learned from my business. But something that you said really stuck with me is identity, right? So something I struggled with from my early 20s all the way through my mid-20s was this idea of, you know, trying all these new things but then being uh, having my identity too attached to certain things. Like if I do photography, then, you know, if I drop photography, now my ego is dropped because it's like, fuck, I'm not good at photography or, you know, if my identity is around being really rich or getting a lot of money if i don't get that now i'm depressed because i feel like i don't have that self-confidence you know so like it's very important not to let your ego be attached to identities it's good to be kind of like you know if you're going to have an identity have something like i'm a good person and i give back rather than 
hey i'm an entrepreneur i'm a trader i'm a this and that i think yeah for sure man for sure man i, I totally agree with you on that um yeah well probably, man. <laughs> <laughs> with god was think- there anything else to go through daniel i had a few questions that we usually yeah, tie up i just want to give that. maybe summer like a, an opportunity to kind of like wh- where are you at right now like what does your day look like what do you do at the moment and you've gone through so much as a as a you know as a kid and a young adult and like what do you do now like who are you now so uh now i'm a full-time investor uh just like you doc i wake up in the morning do my trading, investing stuff in the morning, um, and then pretty much spend the rest of the day just learning stuff, trying to get better at certain specific things. Now we're doing the Hardcore Heads Up podcast as well. So a lot of my time is um, you know, put into editing, uh, getting out new episodes every single week. So that's where a lot of my time is going into. Um, but yeah, just other than that, just reading books, working out, staying healthy, um, we can't really do much else, you know, with lockdowns still going on. So uh, I, I'd say if lockdown wasn't happening, we'd be doing the same stuff, but just in different locations around the world, man. You're damn right, boy. You're damn right. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Marky, Marky, you got some ripper questions. Yeah, cool. So a couple, a couple of questions that get some really interesting responses and, and you might have heard from some of the other podcasts. Uh, so one of the questions is, if, uh, if you could have your message on a billboard that you know ten tens or hundreds of millions of people would see, what would that billboard say? It would say you are going to die. I like that mortality. Yeah, make sure people are aware that time is finite. Yeah, you are going to die, and once you're dead, no one's going to care that you existed. So when you're alive, do something that will leave behind a legacy. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's, yeah, it's a really good point because a lot of people will focus on, you know, sort of the worry, like little worries or the little things that won't really amount to, you know, a, a big thing and, and life is kind of, you know it, it can it's sort of fleeting right it could end you know you it could end tomorrow or it could end at the end of your life but what you do in that time is is completely up to you um another question we have is just the random one so what purchase have you made in the last six months that's improved your life uh, from amazon or otherwise <laughs> it's always it's always amazon boys and i'll probably say it's these uh noise cancelling headphones yeah um so I think I've made it very clear in, in many podcasts before, but uh, I love consuming information um, through audio and video. Um, so I just chuck them on. If I'm working out or cleaning the house, I would listen to an audible book and it just streamlines my life. Yeah. Well, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. What, what makes those headphones like better than uh, other headphones you've had before? I would say the quality and the fact that it's uh, noise cancelling. Like noise cancelling, it just it just sounds like a luxury, but I'm telling you, it is a game changer. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've I've even heard of people having like just the headphones on with no music playing, but just to lock out. I don't know if it was you, Doc. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I do. Might have been. It's interesting. Um, And then one final question: Uh, What new 
or recently learned belief has made the biggest impact on your growth in you know the last five ten years i would say removing self-doubt and thinking removing the imposter syndrome and yeah. believing that you can achieve what you set your mind to because before meeting dylan i had an imposter syndrome I'm like i don't deserve this i don't think i'm capable of doing this but then when he switched it, it was like why can't you if someone that looks like you has done it, why can't you do it? Right? So having that self-belief coming from Dylan to now I believe in myself to be able to do that. I think that's yeah. the biggest change. That's like those intangible wins that you just, you can't put a price on that. Like that, you don't know. I don't know what I could do with that. Like you can do anything, hmm. you know? So I would say that biggest thing. Yeah. 100%. I, I totally agree with that. I think like having uh, sort of knowing where you are in your journey, so having that sort of self-awareness because your dreams might be really big, which is good. But if you're sort of at level one, you don't, you don't want to sort of have your expectations at level 100 because right. they will never match, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Absolutely, man. That was, that was all for me. Any, any questions from you, Daniel, to tie this up? Uh, oh, you know what? Actually, I want to ask Sam's favorite question because he loves this one. Are we in a simulation? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, boys. It's possible. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if it were. I wouldn't be surprised. Wouldn't be surprised? It, it, it's hard to disprove it. My thing is, if you can't disprove it and you can't prove it, just shut up. <laughs> just live your life. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Go I hope, I hope this I hope this is a dream. I wake up and my teeth are uh, as white and as nice. Where do I get uh, them winding strips? <laughs> Far out. What the hell is that? I've actually been, uh, like we were talking about it on the Habits podcast, um, just developing like small habits and then building a chain. Mm. I've been trying to like brush my teeth twice a day. Like before I sleep, I brush it as well. I've been doing mm. that for like two and a half weeks now. Mm. haven't broken it i'm telling you Liz, she looks good <laughs> all right boys um to everyone uh thank you very much for listening i hope you enjoy the podcast to samir mate uh, one thing selfishly for me i've been able to watch you progress for like five years six years now however long it's been um and i just wanted to also say thank you because you've been a massive kind of barometer for me along my journey as well so thank you very Likewise, much for man. being there it's been fucking Likewise. great and uh big things coming for sure boys thanks for having me on gotta do this again nah always excited mate can't wait can't wait to see what other content we make so yeah for stuff. sure for sure thanks all man. right all right boys back, back her up back it up <laughs>